one chapter nine of amelia volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by lynn thompson amelia by henry fielding in which miss matthews concludes her relation before i had recovered my senses i had sufficiently betrayed myself to the best of men who instead of upbraiding me or exerting any anger endeavoured to comfort me all he could with assurances that all should yet be well this goodness of his affected me with inexpressible sensations i prostrated myself before him embraced and kissed his knees and almost dissolved in tears and a degree of tenderness hardly to be conceived but i am running into two minute descriptions hebbers seeing me in a fit had left me and sent one of the servants to take care of me he then ran away like a thief from the house without taking his leave of my father or once thanking him for all his civilities he did not stop at his quarters but made directly to london apprehensive i believe either of my father or brother's resentment for i am convinced he is a coward indeed his fear of my brother was utterly groundless for i believe he would rather have thanked any man who had destroyed me and I am sure I am not in the least behindhand with him in good wishes. All his inveteracy to me had, however, no effect on my father, at least at that time, for, though the good man took sufficient occasions to reprimand me for my past offence, he could not be brought to abandon me. A treaty of marriage was now set on foot, in which my father himself offered me to Hebbers, with a fortune superior to that which had been given with my sister nor could all my brother's remonstrances against it as an act of the highest injustice avail hebbers entered into the treaty though not with much warmth he had even the assurance to make additional demands on my father which being complied with everything was concluded and the villain once more received into the house he soon found means to obtain my forgiveness of his former behaviour indeed he convinced me so foolishly blind is female love that he had never been to blame when everything was ready for our nuptials and the day of the ceremony was to be appointed in the midst of my happiness i received a letter from an unknown hand acquainting me guess mr booth how i was shocked at receiving it that mr hebbers was already married to a woman in a distant part of the kingdom i will not tire you with all that passed at our next interview I communicated the letter to Hebbers, who, after some little hesitation, owned the fact, and not only owned it, but had the address to improve it to his own advantage, to make it the means of satisfying me concerning all his former delays, which, to say the truth, I was not so much displeased at imputing to any degree of villainy, as I should have been to impute it to the want of a sufficient warmth of affection, and though the disappointment of all my hopes at the very instant of their expected fruition, threw me into the most violent disorders yet when i came a little to myself he had no great difficulty to persuade me that in every instance with regard to me hebbers had acted with no other motive than from the most ardent and ungovernable love and there is i believe no crime which a woman will not forgive when she can derive it from that fountain in short i forgave him all and am willing to persuade myself i am not weaker than the rest of my sex indeed mr booth he hath a bewitching tongue and is master of an address that no woman could resist i do assure you the charms of his person are his least perfection 
at least in my eye. Here Booth smiled, but happily without her perceiving it. A fresh difficulty, continued she, now arose. This was to excuse the delay of the ceremony to my father, who every day very earnestly urged it. This made me so very uneasy that I at last listened to a proposal which, if any one in the days of my innocence, or even a few days before, had assured me I could have submitted to, have thought of, I should have treated the supposition with the highest contempt and indignation. Nay, I scarce reflect on it now with more horror than astonishment. In short, I agreed to run away with him, to leave my father, my reputation, everything which was, or ought to have been, dear to me, and to live with this villain as a mistress, since I could not be his wife. Was not this an obligation of the highest and tenderest kind, and had I not reason to expect every return in the man's power on whom I had conferred it? I will make short of the remainder of my story, for what is there of a woman worth relating after what I have told you? Above a year I lived with this man in an obscure court in London, during which time I had a child by him, whom heaven, I thank it, hath been pleased to take to itself. During many months he behaved to me with all the apparent tenderness and even fondness imaginable. But alas, how poor was my enjoyment of this compared to what it would have been in another situation. When he was present, life was barely tolerable. But when he was absent, nothing could equal the misery I endured. I passed my hours almost entirely alone, for no company but what I despised would consort with me. Abroad I scarcely ever went, lest I should meet any of my former acquaintance, for their sight would have plunged a thousand daggers in my soul. My only diversion was going very seldom to a play, where I hid myself in the gallery with a daughter of the woman of the house, a girl indeed of good sense and many good qualities, but how much beneath me to be the companion of a creature so low. Oh, heavens, when I have seen my equals glittering in a side-box, how have the thoughts of my lost honour torn my soul? Pardon me, dear madam, cries Booth, for interrupting you, but I am under the utmost anxiety to know what became of your poor father, for whom I have so great a respect, and who, I am convinced, must so bitterly feel your loss. Oh, Mr. Booth, answered she, he was scarce ever out of my thoughts. His dear image still obtruded itself in my mind, and I believed I would have broken my heart had I not taken a very preposterous way to ease myself. I am, indeed, almost ashamed to tell you, but necessity put it in my head. You will think the matter too trifling to have been remembered, and so it surely was, nor should I have remembered it on any other occasion. You must know, then, sir, that my brother was always my inveterate enemy, and altogether was fond of my sister. He once prevailed with my father to let him take my sister with him in the chariot, and by that means I was disappointed of going to a ball which I had set my heart on. The disappointment, I assure you, was great at the time, but I had long since forgotten it. I must have been a very bad woman if I had not, for it was the only thing in which I can remember that my father ever disobliged me. However, I now revived this in my mind, which I artificially worked up into so high an injury that I assure you it afforded me no little comfort. When any tender idea intruded into my bosom, I immediately raised this phantom of an injury in my imagination, and it considerably lessened the fury of that sorrow which I should have otherwise felt for the loss of so good a father, 
who died within a few months of my departure from him. And now, sir, to draw to a conclusion. One night, as I was in the gallery at Drury Lane Playhouse, I saw below me in a side-box. She was once below me in every place. That widow whom I mentioned to you before. I had scarce cast my eyes on this woman before I was so shocked with the sight that it almost deprived me of my senses. For the villain Hebbers came presently in and seated himself behind her. He had been almost a month from me, and I believed him to be at his quarters in Yorkshire. Guess what were my sensations when I beheld him sitting by that base woman and talking to her with the utmost familiarity. I could not long endure this sight, and having acquainted my companion that I was suddenly taken ill, I forced her to go home with me at the end of the second act. After a restless and sleepless night, when I rose the next morning, I had the comfort to receive a visit from the woman of the house, who, after a very short introduction, asked me when I had heard from the captain, and when I expected to see him. I had not strength or spirits to make her any answer, and she proceeded thus. Indeed, I did not think the captain would have used me so. My husband was an officer in the army as well as himself, and if a body is a little low in the world, I am sure that is no reason for folks to trample on a body. I defy the world to say as I was ever guilty of an ill thing. For heaven's sake, madam, says I, what do you mean? Mean, cries she, I am sure, if I had not thought you had been Captain Hebbard's lady, his lawful lady too, you should never have set footing in my house. I would have Captain Hebbers know that though I am reduced to let lodgings, I never have entertained any but persons of character. In this manner, sir, she ran on, saying many shocking things not worth repeating, till my anger at last got the better of my patience as well as my sorrow, and I pushed her out of the room. She had not been long gone before her daughter came to me, and, after many expressions of tenderness and pity, acquainted me that her mother had just found out, by means of the captain's servant, that the captain was married to another lady, which, if you did not know before, madam, said she, I am sorry to be the messenger of such ill news. Think, Mr. Booth, what I must have endured to see myself humbled before such a creature as this, the daughter of a woman who lets lodgings. However, having recollected myself a little, I thought it would be in vain to deny anything. So, knowing this to be one of the best-natured and most sensible girls in the world, I resolved to tell her my whole story, and for the future to make her my confidant. I answered her, therefore, with a good deal of assurance, that she need not regret telling me this piece of ill news, for I had known it before I came to her house. "'Pardon me, madam,' replied the girl, "'you cannot possibly have known it so long,' for he hath not been married above a week. Last night was the first time of his appearing in public with his wife at the play. Indeed, I knew very well the cause of your uneasiness there, but would not mention. His wife at the play? answered I eagerly. What wife? Whom do you mean? I mean the widow Carey, madam, replied she, to whom the captain was married a few days since. His servant was here last night to pay for your lodging, and he told it my mother. I know not what answer I made, or whether I made any. I presently fell dead on the floor, and it was with great difficulty I was brought back to life by the poor girl, for neither the mother nor the maid of the house would lend me any assistance, both seeming to regard me rather as a monster than a woman. Scarce had I recovered the use of my senses when I received a letter from the villain, 
declaring he had not assurance to see my face, and very kindly advising me to endeavour to reconcile myself to my family, concluding with an offer, in case I did not succeed, to allow me twenty pounds a year to support me in some remote part of the kingdom. I need not mention my indignation at these proposals. In the highest agony of rage, I went in a chair to the deserted house, where I easily got access to the wretch I had devoted to destruction, whom I no sooner found within my reach than I plunged a drawn penknife, which I had prepared in my pocket for that purpose, into his accursed heart. For this fact I was immediately seized, and soon after committed hither, and for this fact I am ready to die, and shall with pleasure receive the sentence of the law. Thus, sir, said she, I have related to you my unhappy story, and if I have tired your patience by dwelling too long on those parts which affected me the most, I ask your pardon. Booth made a proper speech on this occasion, and, having expressed much concern at her present situation, concluded that he hoped her sentence would be milder than she seemed to expect. Her reply to this was full of so much bitterness and indignation that we do not think proper to record the speech at length, in which, having vented her passion, she all at once put on a serene countenance, and with an air of great complacency said, "'Well, Mr. Booth, I think I have now a right to satisfy my curiosity at the expense of your breath. I must say it is not altogether a vain curiosity, for perhaps I have had inclination enough to interest myself in whatever concerns you. But no matter for that, those days,' added she with a sigh, "'are now over.' Booth, who was extremely good-natured and well-bred, told her that she should not command him twice whatever was in his power, and then, after the usual apology, was going to begin his history, when the keeper arrived and acquainted the lady that dinner was ready, at the same time saying, I suppose, madam, as the gentleman is an acquaintance of yours, he must dine with us too. Miss Matthews told the keeper that she had only one word to mention in private to the gentleman, and that then they would both attend him. She then pulled her purse from her pocket, in which were upwards of twenty guineas, being the remainder of the money for which she had sold a gold-repeating watch, her father's present, with some other trinkets, and desired Mr. Booth to take what he should have occasion for, saying, You know, I believe, dear Will, I never valued money, and now I am sure I shall never have use for it. Booth, with much difficulty, accepted of two guineas, and then they both together attended the keeper. End of chapter 9